You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Again, if crude starts to spike, and I believe at some point we'll get a what I call a super spike, and I think that happens when we get, a lot of times when these super spikes happen, it occurs first with a down move, and then the reversal is powerful, and that launches it. It's Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers, chatting today with master trader Nick Santiago from InTheMoneyStocks.com. Nick, welcome back onto the show. Let's start with crude. About five weeks ago when we chatted, it was about $91. Now it's 78 Is it uh, in that downtrend towards that $50 mark that you've talked about? It is in that downtrend. You'll have a pit stop, though, around $70. 70 will be the next key support level. That could hold for a bit. And then if you break through there, I think you're going to trade down to around probably 50 to 55. That is going to be a golden goose opportunity, though, should that happen. I know we said that on here before and crude actually went higher. There is a caveat, though, that we have to talk about. That's the conflict in the Middle East. Um, that can throw a monkey wrench into everything. Um, that could spike crude at any point in time. So personally, I'm not looking to short crude here. Um, as long as there is turmoil going on in the Middle East, which there always is to some degree, but I don't think to this magnitude like we've seen over the past few years. Um, so I'm kind of just going to remain neutral, but I would be a buyer with both hands at 55. I probably will be a short-term buyer at 70. Nick, you've been in these markets for quite a while. So you mentioned the crisis in the Middle East and how that could affect the price of a commodity oil. From a trader's perspective, how have previous crises in the Middle East affected the markets and what are some advice you could give to trade around that? Well, if crude spikes too high, it's a direct tax on the uh, consumer. So everybody still is on gasoline, uh, contrary to popular belief that electric cars are going to save the universe. Um, so we have to take that into consideration that we still are a fuel-based society where we use uh, actual crude oil and natural gas and things of, of such. 3,000, 4,000 products, maybe more, are made from petroleum. So um, again, if you have oil spike like it did back in 2008, we all saw what happened. It went to $148 a barrel. It proceeded to crater and crumble, but so did the stock market because the consumer was tapped out. We have a lot of problems in this world right now, Bill, as you know, um, one being the U.S. debt at $33 plus trillion. Um, this is going to come home to roost. The U.S. Treasury has been issuing a lot of debt as of late. They're going to continue to need to do so. Obviously, um, you know, interest rates and, and other things are a big, big factor here. But um, this war uh, should be watched very, very closely. It's not so much what's going on today. This could be contained for a little while, but it's going to be what happens over the next preceding months. Um, if you look six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, we are in war cycle. And that is very problematic um, for uh, the world, obviously, but for all of these global economies. And um, again, if, if crude starts to spike, and I believe at some point we'll get a what I call a super spike. And I think that happens when we get a lot of times when these super spikes happen, it occurs first with a down move. And then the reversal is powerful and that launches it. Um, you can look at it even in like a 2008 stock market, right? The market bottomed in 2009 at 666. And then it proceeded to the, to go up all the way, you know, where we are currently, uh, 4,300 on the S&P. So that's how markets operate. And that's what people have to realize. So if all rallies are started by a short covering, 
What causes that precipitous drop right before the ramp up? Fear. Fear always causes the, the, the big drop. And that's why it goes down as much as it does. It probably should never go down as far as it does. But, you know, fear and greed are the most two uh, powerful emotions in trading. I believe fear is stronger than greed. So when people start to panic, um, you know, they're just selling with both hands. But then there's somebody out there that's smart enough to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to start to pick it up. And then when you get a flush out, meaning there are no more sellers, uh, the buyers come in and the people that are short say, wait a minute, I, I better cover this short and lock in my gains. And they have to buy in. So you get double amount of buyers there. And that's what causes uh, the big, big move higher. And then once you break technical levels, it's constant short covering. And that continues to uh, occur. Because you know, I dabble in the smaller cap stocks, being in small resource stocks. I look for the $10 million market cap that hopefully goes to $150 million market cap. However, when there's less liquidity and they're smaller, as you know, those stocks can be manipulated more or affected more. If one institution wants to sell out, they could literally cut the market cap in half just by themselves. I bring that up to say, when you're a trader, is there a minimum liquidity or a minimum market cap that you kind of look at before you'll trade a certain stock? There is. First of all, Bill, I do not trade really single digit equities. So I, I just that's just a rule of mine. If they're under $10, I really just stay away from them. Now I will trade an ETF that is tracking a commodity, um, if it's a single digit, like UNG or something along those lines. But I honestly don't touch stocks that trade under $10. Another rule I have of mine is the stock really needs to trade about a million shares a day on average. So as you can tell, I like the mid cap, the large cap. At, at times, I will dabble in small caps, but I'll usually do it via the Russell 2000 ETF, the IWM. Outside of that, I really don't ever play um, anything that would be considered a micro cap or a penny stock, um, something along those lines. I really just stick with the big, large companies. I like to trade stocks that make money, that have earnings already. Um, I'm never looking for, you know, the golden goose that is going to be a one day, uh, you know, a promising company. For me, it's always, I'm always trading established companies and I want, you know, a company that's been around a lot of years. Because those charts are charts that I can read, I can understand, I can tell you where the institutions are sitting, I know where they're going to defend the equity for the most part, I know where they're going to distribute the equity for the most part. That's how I go about my business. I'm not the guy to tell you, hey, this is going to be the next company that doubles or triples. I'm never looking for that. Would you say the smaller cap stocks, their charts are harder to read or harder to predict the movements? Oh, without a doubt, because there's no institutional sponsorship, right? So for me, my game, my strategy is always to be where the institutions are. I'm never going to move ExxonMobil. I'm never going to move Apple. I'm never going to move uh, any of these uh, big stocks like Google or Chevron, um, but the institutions are going to move them. And if I could read the footprint of what the institution is doing via the chart, that's my advantage. That's when I jump on board. Um, but it's always the institutions that push things around. It's never going to be the small, the small investor. You may get those stocks that are micro caps that'll get these big spikes. Have you ever seen that before? And then they collapse right back down. And that's what you're going to get. And that's that's not something I dabble in. What about gold? 1972, I believe I looked at before we clicked record here. Uh, what's your thoughts on gold? Gold is very strong right now. It's still in a very strong technical position. It had a big run up since October 7th. I participated in that run up with silver via the SLV. 
I like them both here, but gold is actually showing better relative strength than silver. Now, I wrote down a key level here on my notes here. Um, gold has to hold 1800. If it breaks 1800, especially on a monthly close, you're going to go down to 1600. That will present your golden goose opportunity to get long. But a lot of traders will be fearful at that point in time and they won't do it. But that's going to be the right move. So right now, gold looks fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It can go higher, especially in this kind of a geopolitical environment. But use 1800 as your key support level. Should that break, especially on a monthly closing basis, you'll go down to the 1600 handle. That will be your buying opportunity then. No longer the 15 handle though, right? Because we talked about the 15. No. Okay. No. So it's 16. Can't go, can't go down now because of the, the, the time it took. So everything is about time and price and you have to coincide those two together. Gan used to say that time is more important than price. So, and I believe him. So what I would say is now that gold is held up so well, yeah, we're not going to go down. At least I wouldn't expect us to go test 1500. I think we'll go test the 1600 handle and that would be your chance to get in and you know, then gold goes ballistic after that. As we chat, silver is handily above the 22 handle. Where do you see silver going? Well, right now, silver is in a similar pattern to gold. So I wrote down these levels. Um, the major support level that I think for silver at the moment on silver futures is probably roughly around uh, $19. So if it breaks through that 1975, 191850, um, then you got to be really, really cautious there. But um, overall, it, it really shouldn't even retest that. I think silver is low as made last September, which I was a part of that play. I like silver on the long side. I was just got out of it uh, on a very quick trade, um, but I am looking to get back in probably anywhere around the $19 level. I'm all back in on silver. And ultimately, when this does break out, and it will break out, um, then you're going to see this go into the mid-30s rather quickly. Are you looking at any bullish angles to a general equities trade right now? Equities right now are very sloppy and choppy. You know, I'm, I'm in a few stocks here and there. I have some options right now, but they've been really all over the map. We get these rallies that we get hit with some sell-offs. It's been um, almost a, a trendless market where the equity markets, if you look at the S&P 500, kind of weaves above and below the moving averages. That's not any kind of sustainable trend. So you just got to be short term with equities right now. When they get to real good support levels, you can hit um, a few on the long side to get to real good resistance levels. Potentially, there could be some short side action, but um, very difficult equity market right now. In the U.S. Difficult. dollar, 105, I believe, on the index, yeah. it's yeah, still strong. Dollar is, dollar is still holding in there, but um, the pattern over the next week or two is going to be important. Obviously, we went to 107. I told my members that's where the dollar would pull back. That's exactly what happened. Then the dollar tried to retrace it and went back up to double top. Now it's backed off again. Dollar down obviously is a good um, a sign for the markets to move a little bit higher, but but the dollar's still hanging in there pretty well right now. I'm not bullish the dollar at the moment. I, I would lean more towards the bearish side temporarily as we go into the seasonality trend, but um, I wouldn't short it. What's your best commodity trade that you're looking at right now? It's going to be gold and silver by far. Um, platinum is also going to be another good one down at around 850. If you get platinum at 850, dip into that. That's going to be a very good one. And copper ultimately will be a golden goose trade, but that's not till it gets to the low threes, probably about 310 to 312. I think that's going to be an explosive upside move. So I, I love the commodities. I love the setup on the charts. Just got to be patient. These things don't, you know, go in, in, in instant timing. You have to just be um, aware that there's going to be some backing and filling. 
But that's what sets up the pattern. And if you're not patient, you know, you jump the gun, then, you know, you could get hurt in this kind of environment. So be patient, wait for these big levels, and then you'll be rewarded. Your worst trade of the last 30 days. Uh, well, I had a Bristol Myers trade that I, I stopped out of before earnings. It was just a 3% loss. And I got back in that. I've already made that up with a 5% gain. I had an option that expired worthless. That's probably the worst one. Uh, I think that was on sugar, but I had made money on that prior. So, but that's about it right now. It's it's been a it's been a uh, a more challenging environment where I haven't put a lot of things on right now, just because the market is tough. This is a very very tough environment. I like when it gives me a little bit more clarity. Um, you know, it's been up and down, and you know now we're getting a, a bounce in the equity market. So you know it makes it a little bit easier, but. Um, you know, I have some things in the pipeline that are in the money. So hopefully we have some nice winners shortly. All right. Let's end on a positive note. Your best trade of the last 30 days. Oh, I think it was silver. Silver, we did a 10 plus percent swing trade. Yeah. You know, we got in at the dead bottom and caught the the high and now it's consolidating. So we took it off the table. But like I said, I'm looking to get back into that trade. And then I had um, a trade on um, ICLN, which is like a renewable energy ETF. And I scored on that pretty quickly and I'm back in on that one again. I did that with an option and, um, you know, we have a few other options out there that are starting to work. So hopefully uh, we'll get some more nice winners here. So I believe we talked about the renewable energy trade last time, whether it was on the recording or off the recording, but so you you jumped on that. I thought you said, wait a couple months before you really see the uptrend for that one. Oh yeah, if you're looking for a definitive bottom, but it hit the it hit the level that I had. I think I had even told you about on both the TAN and the ICLN. So I hit that trade. I I scored almost a thirty percent gain on the option very quick. Then I took the profit, and now um, you know a lot of those stocks that are involved in that uh, ETF, like uh, Enphase or SEDG and uh, First Solar, they all had earnings. So I never like to trade those stocks when they have earnings. I wait for them. But I like that ETF now. I think that has given us a good low. So I like the uh, alt energy plays for a bounce now. And I think you could have a definitive bottom here in the short run. Excellent. Well, Nick's website is inthemoneystocks.com. Go over there to learn about his service. Nick, as always, appreciate your insights. And I'll be touching base with you in about 30 days. Sounds good, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well, or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. 
The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.